And hello, everybody. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead, and I am very happy to be here with you today on Monday, June the 20th, 2022. And today we have uh, returning guests. We're doing a part two with Scott Shara, who an incredible man, incredible story. Um, just talking to the man off air, you know, my heart goes out to him and so many others that have been through this living nightmare that far too many people have had to live through during this insanity. And we're going to be talking about what's really happening in a lot of these hospitals, especially after what we've learned uh, through this whole pandemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. And um, I think that when we start hearing the stories of the victims, that is so important. It's so important for us as hard as it is. This is how we wake people up. We, I've started to change strategies personally when I speak to people about what's really going on. Instead of just getting into the fight, pulling out all the scientific journals and going through all the facts because they don't want to hear the facts, right? They're in a certain state of mind where facts are just not, <laughs> not happening. So what you do instead is you do what the media did. You do what these governments and health officials did, which is you appeal to their humanity. And this is not you being underhanded at all. This is actually a, a way of approaching people where you can remind them of their humanity. You can remind them of the real toll that the things that have happened to so many of us, how, what that really took, what really happened. And it has, it has to be a real human connection because think about it. Most people are interacting in an artificial way. They're interacting on social media. They're watching news. They're reading headlines, probably just the headlines and not actually the articles themselves or looking into the data. So everything's hitting people on a very subliminal, emotional level. All the information that's coming across pe to people right now about any subject, because it's we're in the middle of a big narrative warfare scenario right now, everything is hitting people on emotional levels. And so what can be very effective in this fight to expose the truth that is what the goal is all right is to speak to people again and speak to them with the message of what it is to be human right the humanity here's real people real stories in the real world not on the artificial world not in the social media pretend world in the metaverse world the real world with real effects on people's lives and we have questions because there's a lot of information that we're going to talk about today with Scott that many people, nobody's really being told. There's even certain bits of information Scott's been telling me that he's uncovered that he can't even share just yet. That's how big it is. The implications are huge. And um, what's really sad is Scott and his family and the story that they, the, the, the hell that they went through which I urge everybody watching this, this is the part two, please go back and watch the first interview for the full story about Grace and, uh, and what's happened to this family. But just think about that. Think about how these types of stories can be very effective in helping to show people what's really going on outside of all the argument about peer-reviewed data and all that stuff. All right. The other side doesn't even want to have that debate with their own scientists, with the people within their own scientific medical communities. So, well, I'm just saying this is a really good type of interview to share with people, in my opinion. And it's so important that we understand what's really going on in our medical system, how it's gotten corrupted, the incentives that are involved, uh, what went down with these hospitals, helping people to understand how there's a compartmentalized structure here. So we're not laying blame on every doctor or nurse or hospital in the world as some general thing. Uh, we are looking for specific information as to why we didn't have more medical professionals speaking up about what they've seen and what they've experienced and maybe even what they've done themselves knowingly or unknowingly throughout this past two years. And I think this is going to, this type of information is going to open an even bigger door to show just how corrupt this system has been well before this pandemic. So just a quick little recap for those of you who missed it. Um, we're talking about the sad, tragic loss of Grace Shara, who was a beautiful 19-year-old girl with Down syndrome who died on October 13th at a COVID hospital, a hospital 
that was following the government's treatment protocols and that continue to fail at preventing COVID deaths. Many hospitals are committed to following what the government dictates and receive, in fact, financial benefits and incentives by doing so. Grace's case highlights many abuses along with the dangers of financial temptation. This is a tragic story that can help wake us up to what's been happening in many hospitals today. And that's what we're trying to do. And guys, let me just quickly, uh, oh, I just lost the website. I was going to show it to you, but go to it right now. Go check it out. Ouramazinggrace.net. Ouramazinggrace.net. And they also have a sub stack where they're doing updates. And you can get that at ouramazinggrace.substack.com. And there's also a Facebook page. So you can look them up on Facebook and everything is linked over at the website. So without further ado, let me bring on Mr. Scott Shara. And there he is. Scott, how you doing, sir? Thank you so much for coming back, reaching out. You've been busy. You've been working on continuing your own personal investigation. You're doing what any father would do, trying to get to the bottom of something that shouldn't have happened. And I salute you. And I'm so glad you're here. Well, thanks. And what a nice introduction. Thanks for having me back. I sure appreciate it. Well, we're glad you're here because I've been covering these cases as heartbreaking as it's been to just have these conversations. It's necessary. And I've been trying to tell people how important it is that we don't turn away from this just because it's hard to hear. In fact, this is what we need to learn. We need to see this. This is how the truth works. The truth isn't always the good news, but the truth can lead to solutions. The truth can help awaken us to what we can do moving forward so that mistakes that were made don't happen again. And so stories like yours are very powerful. Um, and we don't have to go through the whole thing top to bottom. As I said before, people can watch the first interview. They go to the sub stack. They can go to the website. It's all there. You've done a really wonderful job. Uh, maybe just give us first an update on, on how you and your family have been doing. I know you mentioned uh, it was Father's Day. This is a tough time. Um, and I just want to let you know you're not alone. There are many people watching right now that are, that are with you and are proud of what you're doing to fight this cause like any father would. But how have you guys been doing? And then let's start getting into some of these updates. Well, how, yesterday was, uh, you know, I've had a lot of tough days since Grace died. Yesterday certainly is in the top. I mean, I, I bawled my eyes out yesterday in the morning and in the afternoon. And you know, I just, she was always special. Every day she was special. And just Father's Day, she would always write me her cute little notes, always handwritten cards with beautiful drawings. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I never miss somebody like this. You know, that's. Yeah. I can only imagine. Man. I can only imagine. I mean, I'm a father myself. Uh, I had the fortune of having a, a day with my daughters that I know there's a lot of parents out there that don't get to have that happen right now. And um, this is why I'm here. And I want to fight for our children, for our future, for people like you, the, the people that are being ignored by their government, ignored by the medical system, ignored by the media. Well, not, not totally. You were saying you've been featured, I think it was the Epoch Times. You're definitely going to be ignored by the CNNs of the world. But you have you been getting more uh, exposure with your story in at least the alternative press? Yeah, I mean it's been it's been wonderful. I've been on about 150 shows now. Um, uh, Uncovered DC did an article this week. Epic Times this morning. Um, now we've got lots of stuff coming up. Uh, it's it's been it's been quite a blessing to be able to get this word out. And that's one of the key messages is that we're we're trying to get this word out. And you know this is you're you're right. This is what you do. You know, so this has gotten way beyond Grace's case, and I'm starting to see it and what's really happening. So I'll just, I want to just jump to the end game as to sure. what is really going on. So, you know, most people are now familiar, especially if they've been watching you and, and other alternative media sources, they're familiar with remdesivir and ventilators. Well, Grace did not get taken out with that protocol grace got taken out with a completely different protocol and i'm going to drill down the new stuff that we have in detail with how she was taken out but the take-home message with these details aren't the details it is that this protocol 
is already the standard of care in the UK. And I'm talking about end of life meds and DNR order. So in the UK, it is already standard of care to for the doctors with state approval to issue end of life meds and DNR orders without family permission on segments of the population. And in the United States, that's not legal, but that's what they did to Grace. And that's that's why I'm sharing this now is because this will, Grace's case survives COVID. This is the new standard of care. And it's so important that people understand that this is what is going on. And what's been happening with our my own personal research then is, is analogizing what is going on with the disabled and the elderly to what happened in Nazi Germany. And there's a an idea that came out of the Adolf Eichmann trial back in 1961 that's called the banality of evil. And banality means evil is it's common. So the commonplace nature of evil. And that's what we're seeing in our society. So people are just going on with their work. The doctors put on their lab coat every day and just execute commands. Uh, the media puts on their uh, fake glasses every day and reports fake news. Um, and everything just goes. I mean, but it's it's this banality of evil. It's so common, people don't even realize it's happening. But we are in an extremely urgent time because of this this whole evil complex that has it's a whole system and you know connect the dots with with uh, where this has gone with grace and then i'll get into the details so um i have come to believe over the last uh, five six weeks or so it took me a long time to get here because i'm analytical and i had to prove this myself and so i've come to believe that grace was um her her death was a premeditated murder so i mean that's quite a claim and I know it's quite a claim, but it is, it, it, it's under the, the umbrella of genocide. And I believe that's, that's uh, so there's, there's new news coming out on this all the time where the amount of people who are elderly and disabled, there's a disproportionate percentage that died in COVID hospitals with disabled females. If they went into the hospital with COVID, they had a 10.8 times more likely death than a non-disabled female. So when this curtain is lifted all the way, I think people are going to see what I'm what I'm telling you is is where the research is headed, and that is there's an agenda to take out the population, and they're starting with the disabled and the elderly, and this has been set up for a long time. The disabled, in Grace's case, she had Down syndrome. Down syndrome children in the U.S. are already aborted at the rate of 67%. In some countries, they're already eliminated. Denmark eliminates 98%. But take it to all disabled. A young person right now who gets pregnant, their doctor encourages them to get an amnio. The insurance pays for it, so that's just like automatic. And then once it turns uh, a result that's negative, the doctor encourages them to get an abortion. So now process that. So that's a mindset. That mindset has been indoctrinated in young people now for four decades. Similar mindset with the elderly. They're put in nursing homes. When I was a kid, that was not the norm. Nursing homes were rare. Now it's the standard of care is a nursing home. So now that those two segments of the population are useless eaters, and then you think, well, that can't be. It can't be, Scott. Well, there's a huge financial incentive. Most people are now familiar with the financial incentive of COVID. And so they, you know, they've already, you know, the people listening to the alternative media see that, okay, I mean, these hospitals have become killing machines because they're being bought off by the government. Well, look at this on a lot broader scale. People have known Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid are in trouble for a long time. The, the Medicare trustees report says that something drastic has to be done. And so why? 39% of our federal budget goes to support the disabled and the elderly. That's 2.2 trillion a year. So there's the obvious financial incentive. The government's already shown they're willing to uh, spend money to implement an agenda through the hospitals. So this should be no surprise to anybody listening. 
So as as it applies to you want to so I want to drill down Grace's case and and show you how egregious these details get. So, but first, David, do you have any question about my my uh, opening monologue? I guess you call it. That was well done. Um, I agree with you. Um, I've been doing research alongside these lines for a long time. Uh, as you know, I'm producing this new series, Cult of the Medics, really trying to get into the occult history of the, this medical industrial complex, you know, the financial the financial incentives that go all the way back to the Rockefeller syndicate and before and 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 how there's sort of been the way I've started to see it. It's interesting the way you characterized it, because what I've been trying to articulate, because there's one thing to have the idea and then another way, how do I even say this? But it's the idea that for a long time, everybody can pick their date when they think this maybe began, this corruption, but the, the medical system has become a sort of human resources management firm yes. branch of, of somebody doing something. I mean, I'm talking at the top. There's so many levels of people that don't understand what's going on. Like I said, it's very compartmentalized, but that for a long time, the, since we started even getting these official admissions from organizations like the Club of Rome, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations, all these people, the UNs, who are all out there saying there's too many human beings, we need to do something about population, it's intertwined with the whole climate thing, um, and, and they've looked at it as their duty to efficiently manage humanity in the same way that a farmer manages its livestock. Right. So we call it like human farming as just a, a term. And I know it's ugly, but let's just give it a name where in some sense they want to take care of you or they want to take care of select individuals, maybe based on a genetic profile. It's sort of a eugenics thing. I'm sure you've gotten into that history. It goes all the way back to ancient Greece and before. Right. Eliminating the unfit. Um, and so but what's interesting is culturally. When you're talking, so we have the disabled, they're getting rid of that, but they're also getting rid of the elderly in the culture. They're getting rid of the voice of the elderly. You don't see the older, wiser, sage like uh, people in the movies anymore or the, as the characters. They're sort of the dumb, put them in the corner. That's just grandma. She's just knitting in the corner. There's this, this thing that's happened to the culture where it's become a youth obsessed culture. And what that does is it negates the voice of those who've lived the longest, who have experience, who traditionally would pass down their knowledge to the younger generations to ensure their survival, right? Well, if you eliminate the elderly in the culture and then you actually physically eliminate the elderly, you now have part of the, the natural growth of, of a community, a family, and a society cut off at the head. And now that voice of the elder gets replaced with what the media, the government, the new voice of the elders as they're trying to program everybody. So I look at this very big that this is an, I think this is an ancient thing, but if we look in modern times, they're, they, they're openly saying we need to bring the numbers down. And it was, um, one gentleman, I'm trying to remember his name. Well, he's not a gentleman, kind of a jerk, but he was one of the guys with the club of Rome. There's a video going around of him. I always blank out on the names, but he was basically talking about how we need to find, because of climate change, we need to find an efficient, equitable, and peaceful resolution to human population growth. That was his word. That's the club. So they use that fancy language. But what I'm trying to tell you, Scott, is you are walking into a, a world here that is actually very well documented. They haven't hit it. There, it's out written in stone for crying out loud. And then when they start actually doing it, everybody's like, oh, it's impossible. But yet here we are. So there's my opening monologue. Uh, good job. Where do you want to begin with some of the facts uh, concerning Grace's case here? Well, I, I just I want to just say one thing because I mean, you're what I am learning is through self-discovery in Grace's case. You, you've known this for decades, so it's wonderful to meld these two perspectives because this is all fresh to me. You know, this isn't fresh to you. I mean, it's, it's like Grace would do this. You go, you know, it's mind-blowing to me. And so, you know, you look at this, though, just take it. If you, nobody, if somebody's listening, they don't understand what we're talking about. Just take a blank piece of paper and write on the top, a world without God, and then write down what does that look like? 
and you would come to two conclusions of what that world, what that worldview has to look like. And it looks like we have, boy, we've got to take care of our climate and we have to manage the population. And in fact, that's what's happening. So this is simply the natural result of a world that has rejected God. So that's the way I see it. That's a good, that's a good point because when you hear these guys from the World Economic Forum, Yoel Harari, Klaus Schwab, um, these sort of intellectual elites, uh, they've always spoken about how we have to do something. We have to fix the problems. We know more than nature. We know more than God. You don't need an immune system. You need one of Bill Gates's new experimental mRNA jabs, uh, and you need to just do it or else. Like the, the way they do it too is so draconian. It's not like they come out and they just offer their their so their perspective and then may, you get to choose. It's a very totalitarian, controlling, it's a medical technocracy that they're creating where there is no more medical rights, medical freedom, bodily autonomy, except when it comes to abortion. So like anything that will actually hinder our survival as a species, like trying to influence very young, impressionable children in schools that they can have a sex change surgery anytime they want. They can identify as anything they want. That old hetero thing is all of the past. That's what your grandparents were in. The new trend is that anything goes. But the problem is that if anything goes, then humanity doesn't continue, you know? So all the, as you said, the world without God, a world without spirit, a world without consciousness and nature and, and, and a world that celebrates the diversity and thriving of humanity that is what we're living in is a world without that. That is the religion. That's the cult. I call it a cult for a reason. They have a cult like belief in the fact that they are now the vicars of the God. They are the ones that stand in and make these decisions for us and look at these ideas. They've been tried before. That's the thing. We can look back through history. This experiment's already been done. And every single time it leads to mass genocide and, and all kinds of horrors, especially when they say the state now becomes God, right? Or the government or this new scientific technocracy. So really, really good points there, man. Well, thanks. So what I want to do then is hit on the three points that have gotten me to the, to the point of saying that I believe grace's death is premeditated murder. So the first one is came out of being on Stu Peters a couple of weeks ago, the producer asked me to drill down Presidex so Presidex is a sedation med. And anyway, by drilling that down, it connected a dot that I missed when I reviewed the records before. So Presidex is a sedation drug. It doesn't get any of the press. Uh, Grace was on Presidex for four full days before her last day. And <clears throat> the it's, a, it's as common as remdesivir. So the hospital has a motivation to put a patient on Presidex because it sets up a ventilator. Remember, Grace never needed a ventilator, but they thought they were going to be able to convince us to do a ventilator. We never caved on that. So they had her on this, uh, this sedation drug. What happened once they put her on it, the amount of money they received increased because it changed her room status to ICU, even though her care never changed. And her room never changed. We stayed in the same room the whole time. And then second of all, Presidex puts your room in a, or the patient in a different level of care. And so if you would like to remove, you know, check out yourself or remove your loved one, you can't. It's called against medical advice. So it puts some handcuffs on you. So you never want to approve a sedation bed for yourself or a loved one. But what data was missing, that's just the background of Presidex. So Presidex has, all these drugs have a package insert. In the case of Presidex, the package insert, which I'm just reading, it says adverse reactions associated with infusions greater than 24 hours in duration. Remember, Grace was on it for four full days before her last day. In, uh, include ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome, respiratory failure, and agitation. The first cause of death listed on Grace's death certificate, which I have right in front of me, says acute respiratory failure with hypoxemia. So a direct result of Presidex, more than 24 hours, is respiratory failure, Grace's cause of death, acute respiratory failure. Another side effect of Presidex is hypoxemia. So they directly killed her by using this, this drug. 
course, the second cause of death is COVID-19 pneumonia because then they get their $13,000 death bonus. So that's, Grace was killed three ways. So that's one, is sedation. Number two is the med combination. So we talked about the med combination last time, which what happened is, so now remember, Grace is already on Presidex for four days. Her last day has so many anomalies to it, you can't make it up. And you start stringing all these crazy things together. And then these last things that I'm going to string together right now, and it puts you over the top. So we had focused on these three meds early on. So she's on near max dose Presidex, lorazepam, morphine. And so in 29 minutes from at 546, she's at near max dose Presidex. They give her a dose of lorazepam, which is an anti-anxiety med. At this point in Grace's history of her last day, now this is, she died at 727. So we're only talking a couple hours before death. She was completely knocked out. Presidex is a drug they use to knock you out for surgery. So she's knocked out. And yet they gave her two doses of an anti-anxiety med three minutes apart, 546, 549. That's and then insane. they gave, at 615, they gave her a two milligram dose of morphine as an IV push. So that's enough in and of itself. But just now I'm going to give you some more facts that we've learned. And one of this, well, I can't go, I can't tell you why with one of them. That's what we were talking about off air. I almost spilled the beans. But the the <clears throat> for this to happen, I, you know, obviously the doctor had to order the meds. Well, the doctor has between 11 and 20 years of experience, according to the hospital website. Okay, so he wasn't uh, a newbie. Uh, second, the hospital pharmacist had to sign off on that order. Third, is that the the because press or because morphine the package insert for that drug says to not combine those three drugs because it can cause death the internal alarm for drug um, combinations had to go off so somebody had to override that alarm we don't know who this was at this point um, and then the nurse in charge of grace's care that day was a 14-year experience in the icu nurse so that's on top of her regular nursing experience. She had 14 years in the ICU and she's the one who injected Grace with those meds. So, I mean, so they knew this was going, you know, it, you can't get to any other conclusion than they knew what the outcome was going to be. Um, so that's the second cause of death. So those are the new details related, related to that. Um, then the, the last new detail is relative to the DNR order. So I'm just going to take you through Grace's last seven minutes to set up this DNR. So when my daughter Jessica was in the room at this point with, with Grace, I was in the room from October 7th through the 10th. I was taken out by an armed guard on the 10th. Uh, we had no advocacy for 44 hours. Jessica was in the room then with Grace on the 12th and 13th. And Grace's last day is the 13th. So now she, to set this up, she, so they give Grace the morphine. Um, not too long afterward, Jessica doesn't have the exact time of this. She feels Grace getting cold. She asks the 14-year ICU nurse to come in and take a temp because my sister's getting cold. Uh, she won't do it. She says that's normal. After they gave Grace the morphine, not one nurse or doctor came into that room until Grace died. The morphine package insert says specifically to monitor the patient and have the reversal drug bedside. Neither happened. So now Jessica called Cindy and I on a FaceTime call at 7.20 panicking. And she said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, I've tried. They won't come in the room. So she estimated 30 nurses outside the room at this time because of shift change. There's also an armed guard posted out there. Um, which adds to the drama and you can't even make that up. But the, so Cindy and I start screaming, save our daughter. And they holler back, she's DNR, do not resuscitate. And we holler back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. So this is the first we knew she's DNR. I mean, this is so egregious. So now Jessica ran out in the hall during this time and finds one of the nurses had the Dr. DNR, DNR order on her, her screen and read it off to Jessica and said, we can't do anything about it. The doctor ordered the DNR. Well, 
Tom Renz is involved with our case. He hired a medical malpractice nurse to review all the records I have, or had, I should say. I gave them all to her, and after she reviewed them, she said, Scott, you're missing at least a 1,000 pages. So I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, that's what they do. And so I said, well, can you help write another records request so we can get the remaining pages? And she said, yes. Yeah. So she does. I send it. We get 948 more pages. On page 853 of the 948, I'm calling it the smoking gun because that's where we see the doctor put the DNR order on Grace at 1056 that morning. At 1048, she was at the near max dose of Presidex. At 1125, they gave her a dose of lorazepam because he had convinced us that morning to put a feeding tube in. They did the feeding tube at 1137. So they, one of the attorneys who reviewed this said they had to put this DNR order in place at that time so they could secure the deal. Basically, they wanted to take Grace out. So in order to do that, the DNR order had to be in there. So for this DNR, um, it, it's, it's so, this is the worst cause of death is this DNR. And this is why I'm telling people this. The, Grace is not the only story. Three weeks ago, a lady from the East Coast called us bawling. She had just got the records, her Down syndrome daughter. She's in the Epic Times also in the same article because I asked the guy who interviewed me to interview her so that he could see at least that there's another story where this happened. And she found out that the, the hospital or the doctor put an illegal DNR on her daughter on day two of the hospital stay. And ultimately they took her out too. I've heard lots of these stories now. It's, it's common. So it's, sorry, it's like a, it's like a pattern, right? That That's you're right. seeing and what your lawyers are telling you is that now when you look at the timeline, when you get to zoom back and see the timeline, you can actually see them putting things in place so that when they, it's so that they can fulfill the criteria to get the money that they're going to get through those incentive programs, right? Is that what you think they're doing? Well, I don't know if it's, I mean, I think it's way more egregious than the money. I mean, the money is, is motivating the hospital for sure. But I mean, what's motivating the money? You know, the money is, is just, Agreed, yeah. is just the grease that's putting it together. You know, a DNR is serious business folks. You know, if, if, just think about the common sense. So I'm going to read over the, the law relative to the DNR in Wisconsin. All I'm reading is common sense codified. So it says, one, the, the healthcare agent or the patient must request it. That seems obvious. Uh, the attending physician must provide written information about the DNR and the methods of which a patient may revoke it. That seems common sense. You request it, the doctor explains it to you. Uh, then the patient consents to it. So you hear all the stuff and then you consent to it. Then next, you consent to it. It's got to be in writing. So there's got to be a signed document. Makes sense. It's it's maybe the most important document you'd ever sign in your life. Then the physician is supposed to implement that DNR in the medical record. Well, he did that. But what about these other steps? Then there's supposed to be a bracelet put on the patient. So I suspect the reason Grace didn't have a bracelet is because Jessica would have said, what in the heck is that thing? And then, you know, we would have been wise to this DNR ahead of time, but there's no bracelet. And then, of course, the most important thing is that the desire of the patient or the healthcare agent to reverse or revoke a DNR supersedes the DNR. So when Cindy and I scream, she's not DNR, save our daughter, even if Grace would have put a DNR on herself, that would have null and voided that DNR. So I Yeah, and isn't there something where you're the guardian, you're the parent, you have to be the one to put the DNR. That that's not the doctor that gets to do that. I just feel like that's that's the another point, right? get to do it. In in Grace's case, she could have done it because she was an adult, she was 19. And because Grace was so high functioning, we chose a a different path than conventional guardianship for Grace. We called mm -hmm. The state of Wisconsin allows what's called supported decision-making, which gives Grace a lot more freedom than the chains put around her with guardianship. So she could have put her own DNR in place. Of course, she didn't, but she would have been allowed to do that. But then my wife had the medical power of attorney. And so by saying she's not DNR, save our daughter, even that's why I said, even if Grace would have put a DNR on herself, which she didn't, that would have revoked it. Yeah. And even when you've told me the story about the nurses standing there and arguing with you, well, she's DNR. Like, 
no, no, no. You're supposed to save lives. You've got the parents of a daughter that's dying and you need to go save somebody's life and you're going to argue with the parent? Like, that is insane. It's insane. Yeah, it is. And I mean, that's so I've been asked this a couple of times and I'm just going to kind of ask it like you're asking it. So I get asked, why do you keep going with this? And, uh, you know, I have lots of answers for that, but the one that that I've been saying that I like best because people get offended by it. And that is because I know where two serial killers live and work. That's why I'm not stopping. And they're still killing people. And this isn't, these aren't the only serial killers. And what is your responsibility? If, if any of you knew that, what would you do? You wouldn't stop either. So then, well, boy, that's quite a claim. Well, don't blame me for that claim. Take a look at your dictionary. Open up your dictionary and see what the definition of serial killer is. Type, type it into your search engine, and you'll see it's not me that's defining it. It's That's what's happening. Yeah, because they're – yeah, I think at this point it's undeniable that they are serial killers, these people that are continuing this. They can try to justify it all they want, but – the, it's known, and I'm sure uh, Tom Rents, your lawyer, will have a lot to say about this. I'd actually love to have him on in the future as well to break down the legal side of this because um, if it's known that these protocols, whether they're in hospitals, whether they were applied to the general public through government edict, which violated all the constitutions, et cetera, and medical rights, uh, but they did it, and, they, and then now we're getting from Pfizer all of this data coming from within their own research showing that they knew there was going to be side effects. It's right. just been uncovered through emails. We're getting sort of like the Fauci emails version of what went down in British Columbia, my province with our health minister, Bonnie Henry, who we now got 46 or something pages of emails released to the public uh, about how she was being told by her own staff that there were side effects to these jabs happening all over the province. And these are email communications where she's just, thank you for that. You know, and, and then obviously knowing that these are causing side effects is still out there telling people they're very safe. Don't listen to the conspiracy theorists, go get your jab. Oh, and we're working on getting it approved for zero to five-year-olds. So that's, they know, we know, they know, we know Fauci knew, we know right. a lot of these people knew. And if, the, if now that we know that this PCR test, which I was even seeing some mainstream articles, Scott, coming out about how they're now saying what us conspiracy theorists were saying back in 2020, which was that these PCR tests are pinging false positives and many people have died due to treatment to something they didn't even have. That's knowing that there's something wrong, yet they continue to do it. So at whatever level this breakdown has happened, we know they know what they're doing and they're continuing to do it and not even just continuing to do it, Scott. They are doing it with a smile. They're doing it to the point where it's really as if they are trying to kill people. Like, I don't, I'm with you. I, it sounds crazy even saying this, but it's, it's what other conclusion could there be knowing what we now know? Well, I, I know it took me a long time to get here and I mean when I look back now it almost seems laughable what my position was at the beginning you know, I just I thought well boy I mean I we knew in on November 8th that they killed Grace but I never even you know, just think well I mean they would so I, I wrote a long a 15 page letter we gave all of our research sent it to the hospital and requested a meeting with the CEO and the doctor and you know hoping they would see what we saw repent and then fix it so this doesn't happen again you know and then they rejected the meeting and ultimately you know that led to several hundred hours more research and oh my gosh it's so egregious you can't make well it good for you for continuing you're doing i i love that this interview is happening close to father's day because i was meditating on this i i you know went with my family had some family time and i was just thinking about what's going on with all this insanity um, and how in our culture there's been an attack against not just what they're calling toxic masculinity, but I think just masculinity in general. And one of the things that is the trait of a father is, is exactly what you're exemplifying, which is that when you see injustice done, you do something about it. You don't just sit back and, 
and, and allow time to pass by, you do something about it. You take action against that crime because this is a crime. And so that's why it's so important what you're doing, Scott. And to all the others out there who might be in the same boat as you and experience something like this, I don't care. Father, mother, daughter, cousin, doesn't matter. Do something about it. Do something productive. Do something within the law, obviously. But I'm saying do something. Spread the awareness. Start speaking out. And if anybody's listening that's within that medical system that knows something that's related to what we're discussing here, Come out and tell the world, this is the time, all right? And I just want to finish on this quickly. You got to read this book by Dr. Vernon Coleman. It's called Endgame, The Hidden Agenda 21. And he's known as the old man in a chair from Britain. He's a lovely old chap. He's been around for a long time. And he's been, his first analysis at the beginning before everything else came in was his wake up was, oh, they're trying to kill off the elderly. That was literally what he had discovered in the UK, looking at government data, looking at what was coming out of New York with Cuomo's old folks' homes and what they did there, which that's also just another crime against humanity and, right. and so many other things. So there are, there are high-level, medically trained people, journalists, um, whistleblowers coming out, talking about exactly what you're saying to support um, what you're saying, and people need to hear it. People need to see what's really going on. I agree 100%. So we've got we've got this new discovery of some of these things that happened with Grace. Um, I know you've got there's even more information that's probably going to be coming forward as well because you've been busy. You've been talking to people. Um, what's the status on the legal front? Like when you speak to your lawyers, what are they saying? What's the next step in your case right now? Well, last week we had the first meeting with the team and I suggested that they interview me uh, so that it would save time because there's so much volume and I have the most time in this. And so they said, yeah, let's do that. So they interviewed me today and we walked through the entire case for three hours, blow by blow. Um, and so now they're, they've got to frame it. And so we talked about framing and, you know, that's of course way over my pay grade. But they, um, you know, they've got to now figure out how to put this together, and um, that's uh, that's going to be two, three weeks off yet. Uh, but there's multiple people on this team, and uh, it's just it's it's wonderful. I mean, I can't believe that door that opened up with Tom Renz, uh, and another door opened up not this last weekend, but the weekend before. Um, I mean, I, I just, I see God's hand in this and it's amazing to me. I have 49 miracles documented, but, you know, so Tom Renz is a miracle to me um, because you know, I, I wasn't, we weren't even interested in a case and he convinced us and we're not after any money. That's not what it's about, but he convinced us that this is the fastest way to stop the behavior. Well, then last week, not, not Father's Day weekend, but the weekend before I was speaking in, in Nashville and Peter McCullough was the keynote speaker. So I mean, it's humbling just to be on the same stage with that guy. And as God would have it, our flights left at the same time. I'm going up north, he's going down south. And we rode together in the van for 45 minutes to the airport and we got to talk and oh my gosh, you know, that was very inspirational to me. Um, he gave, gave me his personal cell phone number and said he's got some things he wants me to do in Texas, stay at his house, you know, and, it's like, but it was inspirational because, you know, guys like Tom Renz and Dr. Peter McCullough, I mean, they are literally on the front lines. You know, I, I'm not on the front lines. You know, I'm, I'm a step behind them. So, I mean, I'm really just the support cast for guys like them, but they need a whole bunch of guys like me as their support cast. And, you know, when I got done with him, I was like, oh, you know, I was just, I got to redouble my efforts. I've been working uh, an awful lot mostly 16 hour days on this um, wow. but you know i gotta do more and so you know this last two weeks i've had 30 podcasts and let's go i mean that's that was that was uh an interesting discussion and i could could hardly believe it oh that's incredible i'm so glad to hear that i mean that's what you need you need to know look we're not alone i'm not alone here there's good people fighting and, and good people in high places too uh, yeah. You know, some of these top doctors that are coming out and to, and I'm glad they get to hear stories like yours 
so that they can also expand their awareness. I feel like we've been also watching people like Dr. McCullough and, and many others, Dr. Malone, and there you see them going through an awakening as to just how big this is. I think even in the beginning you watch and they're just like, oh yeah, there's some stuff going on. The numbers don't really make sense. We're not sure. And now they're just like, oh my God, it's mass genocide. Don't take the, like they, they've totally flipped over and it's because of what happens when you actually do the research, when you actually right. listen to the stories. If you're just watching headlines and listen to the news and your government officials, you are in the stone age of information. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you got to come to shows like this and listen to people like you. And so that's, that's the positive, eh, Scott, is that you've turned this tragedy into an opportunity to expose great evil and corruption in the world. And that's why you see that God's work behind it. You see that, that, that light behind it. You see that synchronicity behind it is because you are serving the truth. And even though at first everybody laughs and everybody dismisses, and then they even get to the point of attacking you about it, if you stick around in this fight long enough, uh, it's you're going to win. The truth is going to win. And we're seeing it happen all over the place. We've got right now in Canada a couple good things going on. We have uh, a, one of our Canadian military veterans who I had on the show. His name is James Top. Uh, he's got an inspirational story. He had had gone through the whole thing of being fired from or let go from the military, which that he'd served for, I don't know, 20 years or something. And because he didn't want to take this jab because he had done the research and re realized, I don't want this one. You know, I don't want to yeah. do this. And when he saw what the government did to him uh, for just refusing to take this medication, it's something snapped in him in, in a good way, you know, and he decided, well, I'm going to take action. So he's marching the entire country. He's walking from British Columbia, Canada, all the way to Ottawa to have his grievances heard. And so I think he's arriving on the 30th of June and now he's being surrounded. There's lots of other veterans going. There's even, uh, I think more people that are going to go over Canada day. And um, I'm just seeing so many more people now in Canada uh, and just from my experience saying, seeing what's going on and starting to speak out. And so that's a positive thing. So if we just keep putting the truth out there, it doesn't need defending. It has a spirit of its own. It will reach the right ears. It will activate the right people. And sometimes it's sad, but it's the truth that some of these tragedies activate and wake up the people that need to be doing a certain job to expose an even bigger thing. And I think you're one of those people. And so I salute you for that. So um, I don't know if there's any other bits of the story that we missed that you want to cover before we sign off here, Scott. Um, the, let's see, I've got, I've got a couple of notes here. Uh, we went through the, the disabled, why, um, you know, the people who are, are still lost, I think that is something we should close with. So, I mean, Jesus came to heal the sick. Um, Grace, I know where Grace is. You know, I am looking forward to joining her. And uh, you know, ultimately, she she believed that that God sent Jesus to die. He was buried, and he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. And there's a reason for that. And he's calling anybody lost back, and he wants he doesn't want anybody to perish. But you you've got to you've got to believe. And I want, uh, this message is about saving people's life physically, but if they're lost spiritually, it, it's all for nothing. So, you know, God gets the credit for everything that's going on and he wins in the end. That's it, man. That's it. That truth is going to win. And, um, it, and now we are the ones that are here to let other people know, you know, what's going on, the truth about it. And, that will take its own course and the right people are going to come at the right time. And I see this whole thing coming down. I see this whole corrupt enterprise, criminal racket, the lies, the deception coming down because that's the only trajectory that the lie can take. It's the only trajectory tyranny can take. Look at history. It rises up. It gets lots of publicity. It looks like it's going to crush everything. And then something happens and it all comes down. And that's because within that, there's a mechanism within nature built into everything that when you're serving something that is against the good, against the natural order, against God in that sense, that uh, it's you're doomed to your own destruction because you're you're fighting against that fate, you know, in my in my opinion. So we're going to see this come down. We're seeing the signs of it. Everybody just hold tight 
Um, I'm sure there's so many out there listening to this that are having, thinking of their own horrific experiences during this whole ordeal. Um, but I just hope that if we can get this truth out as far and wide as possible, we really, really can make a difference. We can wake up more. We can change the situation with these hospitals, with this medical system, with our government, all this corruption. It can come down if the good people stop sitting on the sidelines and instead get up and actually do something to fight back and address it. And that's that old saying, hey, eh, Scott, you know, evil exists when good people do nothing. Well, good people aren't doing nothing anymore. And uh, I think that's why we're going to win. And we've got a lot of good uh, backing us on the way. So thank and you so much. Go ahead. Something everybody can do, just so simple, is just share this podcast. I mean, it's yeah. the, one of the easiest things you can do. Just take some action as opposed to none. Exactly. Share it and also speak with confidence. If you know something and you hear this information and you go vet it and you learn about it and someone starts confronting you or you're in the hospital and the doctor is saying something, you now have the tools. That's what I'm trying to give you on this show is give you the tools, give you the information. You can learn what's going on. And then that is your defense. That is your weapon in this fight is knowledge, the knowledge of what the truth is, the knowledge of the facts. And that's what we're trying to get. So Scott, thank you so much for, for joining me again to share these updates. Please keep me in touch or keep me posted if any more things go, go on with your case. I'm really hoping that some major breakthroughs come through. I hope you get more publicity so that it can get out farther and wider. Um, so, you know, many blessings to you and your family. And thanks for coming on to share this with me today, man. Oh, thank you. It's uh, wonderful to be, be on shows like this. And you're, you're a great host, David. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and I wouldn't be anything without the great people that listen to this show. So thank you guys for tuning in every Monday and to looking at this work. Please help me share this one out as far and wide as possible. I've also put together a little series on my Rumble channel. You can go check it out there and my Rockfin channel um, where I've been interviewing others uh, like Scott that have been going through a similar situation with these hospitals. So share out all those interviews so that people know this is bigger than you think, and uh, we need to expose it all. So with your help, we can do it. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, everybody. That's all for today. I'll catch you again real soon here on Truth Warrior. Cheers, everybody.